Hello, you lucky duckies. We're talking about DMT today. Very, uh, <laughs> this is going to be a popular episode. Everyone always wants to hear me babbling about DMT. You will not be disappointed. I'm sorry we don't talk about the subject more often. At the end, I'll kind of explain why I keep a lot of my psychedelic content separate from this podcast, or at least a few thoughts on it. But important stuff for you, October 17th, alive. Here we are podcast as part of the Wisconsin Science Fest. It's a virtual. Anyone can take part in it and attend. I'm calling it the media dilemma because the social, I'd already planned the, the, uh, the show talking about uh, because we're having to do things remotely, talking about how all of this remote uh, learning, remote communication stuff may be impacting our lives, the pros and cons of, of the subject, screen time use, letting your kids play with tablets, that sort of thing. I thought it would be a fun subject to talk about kind of is this even a good idea for you to be watching this remote show? Should you just be watching a book instead? Or is it that we're that modern media use were a little uh, hysterical about it and and everyone's always uh, jumped to these apocalyptic predictions about all different kinds of technologies as they came out and and many of those things never came to fruition and uh, in many cases improved our lives over time and uh, what does the research have to say so i have two awesome scientists one of which is heather kikorian who i've had on the show before uh i and uh, talking about this very subject i'm calling it the media dilemma because the the social dilemmas the popular um, Netflix documentary that happened to come out after I was already planning on talking about the subject. So it's this wonderful frame of reference um, for us. And I have a good friend of mine, Ken Reed. If, if you happen to be lucky enough to have seen a stand-up science show in the, uh, in the New England area my friend ken reed out of boston we we started around the same time he's a hilarious comedian and he's really really good in this setting he's, he's quick and funny and bright more importantly for this show he is also the host of the podcast tv guidance counselor he's this huge tv nerd he gives people a tv guide from the 80s or whatever has people pick uh pick a show and he knows everything about 80s and 90s television i tend to be a little bit averse to screen time so it's going to be like a little debatey more conversationally but but uh a little back and forth about uh i'll probably take the side of we should spend less time in front of uh, in front of screens, and when we are in front of screens, maybe taking in um, more uh, challenging cerebral uh, content. Uh, uh, and he might he might say the other thing, but the w one thing I would um, one thing that is exciting about this is we're using this crowdcast platform if you happen to attend any of the live head talks shows or the documentary screening uh that i did in may 
loved doing those. I want, I, I still would. I'd love to do them every single week. I'm trying to figure out the financials and organ, everything else, but I would love to do it. Took a break over the summer as all of the, um, world was going bananas and, and, um, and, and just people also not, uh, you know, getting out and, um, barbecuing and doing things outside and, and stuff more. Uh, so I, I didn't want to risk there being a lot less demand than normal and losing money, blah, blah, blah. But all of that is to say is that these crowdcast events, uh, rather than just passively watching something, uh, you get to interact. There's a whole, um, a sidebar with a chat going on where you can interact with us, the guests, but also other um, like-minded science enthusiasts who are attending. And there's like a, a little question area where you can ask your own question and upvote the uh, questions. So the most popular questions um, are are more likely to uh, to get answered. And it's just a really cool, fun way of of having a inclusive, interactive, remote entertainment experience. I think it's going to be fun and really, really enlightening. And there will be a lot of laughs uh, along the way, especially with Ken. There, you know, I I tend to. Uh, I tend to get so engrossed in the uh, in the research and the scientific ideas that um, the the jokes and the humor are kind of like on the back burner uh, for me. That's that's just my style. I just love the uh, I just love having big, meaningful kind of philosophical uh, discussions um, uh, more and and have my separate life where I you know, do stand up and make sure there's X number of punchlines per minute and whatnot. But I think this one's going to be, uh, if I had to predict, this one's going to have a lot more, uh, just naturally just going to have lots more laughs uh, along the way with the subject matter and everything. You know, a lot of times we love talking about like Alzheimer and serious subjects on this show too. So, um, so this, this one should be pretty light and fun. Um, I imagine you could watch it with your kids. I don't know. I I think that yeah, I like having adult conversations with you know big bigger kind of more complicated uh, subjects. So although I doubt we're going to be saying anything that's terribly offensive or anything like that, I just think that depending on their age, uh, I. I young kid might be kind of bored by the conversation it's i do like this podcast i cater it um for adults i'm 40 i like uh i like performing for adults that uh and and making entertainment for adults that are lifelong learners um and uh just inquisitive uh folks that that decided that they still like learning things even after school. Who heard of such a thing? Uh, so I hope you'll check it out. Go to shanemoss.com. I think it should be on the Here We Are podcast.com website too by the time that you're seeing this. Um, 
and uh oh it's free it's free oh my goodness how do you not say it's free only because i'm getting paid we have a sponsor man guys if i can figure out more stuff like this it's just the best of so many worlds i have the sponsor the science company promega who is just interested in promoting science communication so normally like the past shows i was charging a fee for all of the shows these are going to be uh free and i'm getting paid and i have a marketing budget and you get it for free so tell everyone you can um i would love to do more stuff like this so please 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 check it out and spread the word for me all right you guys are awesome dmt enjoy the show you're going to you're really gonna love this episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are all right hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast i am comedian and science enthusiast and many of you know me best as a mind explorer or something like that a psychedelic advocate i don't know what i am i'm a guy that did psychedelics for a while put a show together about them on stage for some reason it got popular i and i got sucked into this whole world of psychedelics and psychedelic research that's just endlessly fascinating and because of all the weird stigma, well, maybe it's not that weird. I'll leave you guys to decide uh, after <laughs> after you hear our, our conversation today. Uh, we don't talk about psychedelics nearly as much as um, I would sometimes like to, as I, as I know some of you got listeners would like to, um, but I keep my... Uh, I keep my science podcast a little separate from uh, from the uh, from some of the psychedelic stuff, and so today is going to be a special treat because every time I do do a psychedelic uh, show, it's the most popular one. It tr- I guess it should just be a, a psychedelic <laughs> podcast. Um, but you can go back to the first episode of the year if you want to hear a special three-hour um, episode that I did with nine different guests. But today, I am getting to go all the way. I'm I'm breaking through, having a full uh, um, conversation about DMT with Andrew Gallimore. Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself to people? Because I don't even know exactly how to introduce you. <laughs> uh, oh, good. Um, I don't know. I'm a neurobiologist. I'm a psychiatrist. Oh, I'm also a psychedelic advocate. Um, I'm a, um, uh, a pharmacologist. I'm a chemist. I'm a writer, and I I love DMT basically. And um, I'm kind of devoting <laughs> this sh- this short, crazy, fucking little life to that re- most remarkable of uh, of, of molecules, uh, DMT. And I've been kind of spent the last twenty five years of my life so far. Uh, trying to work out what the fuck it is and um, what's actually going on with DMT. Yeah. I mean, great question. I mean, first off, life isn't that short when you're smoking DMT (laughs) and spending a thousand lifetimes in some other dimension. (laughs) 
uh, 25 years? Well, I mean, yeah, I, mean, if you, I mean, I wouldn't say I was kind of formally kind of researching. Sure, sure. But from, from being kind of 15 years old, I mean, that was when I was first, I think we we're about the same age. Shane, so um, are we? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, I guess I I, I just I just turned forty, and me too. Man, yeah, I, so I, there you go. I, yeah, I I started. So I started my my psychedelic journey. I didn't really, you know, I didn't really think of it as a journey until later on in life, and then I was like, oh, I guess I've been on a journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't. Uh, but I was uh, I was a mushroom man, and then I I, I still am, and then I yeah, discovered DMT. Well, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. And by the way, audience, a, a decent primer for just a quick fun background of some of my DMT experiences on on my website or on my YouTube. There's um, there's two now Comedy Central videos called Tales from the Trip about my first time doing DMT and then uh, a very bizarre thing that sometimes happens to me in a DMT experience. But why don't you tell people, let's just assume because it's not a big topic on my show as much as my listeners would love it to be as they're constantly sending me messages about DMT as anyone that's ever heard a DMT story is usually intrigued. Why don't you tell people a little like 101 about DMT? Yeah, so DMT is um, described variously as the spirit molecule or as uh, Terence McKenna. My favorite kind of description is the, the kind of reality channel switch. It's the simplest of all the naturally occurring um, psychedelics. It's ubiquitous. It's found throughout nature. Uh, there's probably, Dennis McKenna suggests that perhaps all plants contain at least some levels of DMT. It's found in humans. Uh, and it also happens to be perhaps the most bizarre uh, and and profound and powerful <laughs> psychedelic drug on the planet in that it completely, uh, you know, within 30 seconds of administration, normally the normal familiar consensus waking reality is dissolved or torn apart uh, and replaced with a reality altogether stranger, uh, a bizarre hyperdimensional <laughs> alien reality replete with a diverse panoply of intelligent beings eager to communicate with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's uh, that sums it up I'll pretty do it. well. <laughs> it was funny because I I had a bunch of uh, I I had a bunch of interesting questions on um, on Instagram about this uh, uh, beforehand. I just like a few hours ago I put it on an Instagram story and uh, I was like, Any anyone have questions about DMT? <laughs> and someone was just like, What's with the carnivals? <laughs> Why is there carnivals? So yeah, I, I I I bring that up because I I think it's an important addition to what we're talking about. Is this interesting for me? Issue that needs to be solved about why are people having such similar experiences and not just like. Hey, I went in, saw some fractals, and like, cool, I saw fractals too. Like, I went in, saw a carnival, and then there was this purple woman. Yeah. 
in, in, in the carnival who then I find like three months later some guy in Turkey hacking his um, uh, who also does DMT and does art sees this same woman as well and uh, and and so that that is um, that's one of that's one of the bigger riddles to me I, I don't know what you um, I mean I feel like we could talk about DMT for eight hours but how did you start your journey one since you started at such an early age would you say that it's why you still got into neuroscience and, and science generally just because you wanted to understand what these yeah exactly were? so I mean when I say 15 that was when I first um, discovered the existence of, of DMT it wasn't the first time I uh, ingested DMT. I didn't smoke DMT at 15. I don't su suggest that any 15-year-old should be smoking DMT, really. I sound like a a parent there, but um, yeah. Uh, I know. <laughs> Wait until your frontal lobes are fully developed, I think. But uh, but no, I think um, I, I became aware of DMT through kind of early... I was coming of age. We both were coming of age, really. I mean, we, we mm -hmm. both grew up in a pre-internet era, really. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the it, it wasn't as easy to access information about things like DMT. So, so as a fifteen-year-old, it's, it's quite difficult to stumble across DMT information. Much more so than it is now. Now it's almost impossible not to stumble across information about DMT. But in those days, it was much more difficult. And I think I, I became interested in psychedelics at about that age, um, and and what they could. That what they could do to the to the brain and, and to the to the structure and nature of your reality, and at, a, at a kind of around that same time, a friend of mine who had heard that I'd been kind of in, I've been ranting and raving about about psychedelics at school, brought to me this magazine and it had in the in the back page it had an interview with the late great Terence McKenna, uh, and he spoke about this this drug DMT. You know, uh, and I thought, wow, okay, this sounds awesome. You know, it's, it only lasts for five minutes. That's fine. Um, no problem. I can deal with that. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. this is this is a cakewalk, as as, as the phrase. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's where my my fascination. But then he would you would hear these. He would talk about the you know this you know reality, you know impossible objects constructed from language, and it was um, that was you know once you kind of listened to Terence McKenna, once you actually were able to kind of find these early kind of recordings of him. Um, and then got, that was it. I knew that this was something that I had to uh, devote myself to. And I, so I, I changed all of the, the subjects that I was studying uh, sixth form. Um, so this was kind of just before I went to university. This was really the year, the two years before I went to university uh, where I really became interested. I thought, okay, I need to change everything now. This is, this is my new life. And I completely set a new path for myself that I was going to study chemistry and pharmacology and neuroscience and, and and that's really what i've been doing so i've been kind of you know moving through a number of different scientific disciplines because i think to really get to grips with dmt you have to approach it from a number of different angles you have to be a part chemist part pharmacologist part neuroscientist part psychologist you know part entheologian is that a word Sure. Could be a word, actually. Um, theologian, part anthropologist—I don't know—but you have to be—you have to have your fingers in a number of different kind of academic yes. pies. 
um, I think. Um, yes, yeah. that's yeah, that's why. It's part that's of why, why I have this podcast. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where it started. Um, and, um, and yeah, and that's where it continues. I think um, you know, what you said about, and that's really for me as a neuroscientist, uh, when people, people don't just describe going to places that are kind of overly, you know, hugely complex or fractal or hyperdimensional, but they, they, they do des describe the same, that the, the ambiance of the DMT space seems to be the same. People do describe this kind of comical, mischievous, jokerish kind of ambiance that the DMT space has. Um, and that's, that's kind of tricky to, to explain. It's not straightforward, it it's easy. People are often quite glib um, even kind of neuroscientists are quite glib and they will say, well, this is, this is just hallucinations. It's just, um, it's just when the brain's perceptual mechanics, you know, aberrate, you know, and they will often, you know, they'll reel off a lot of this very kind of, um, technical language in the hope of kind of blinding you with bullshit, basically. Uh, but, but really, if you, if, if you really think about DMT properly, and, and, and say, okay, let's take that proposition, that premise that DMT really is just hallucination. Let's try and work out how that works. And actually you run into, yeah. you run into problems, you run into problems. And I, I, I do still, it's for me as a neuroscientist that studied DMT for many years, it's confounding. It's very difficult to explain why people have mm. these very, very, uh, very, familiar, very specific uh, and specific to DMT as well. Um, there is some mm -hmm. argument that high doses of psilocybin can take you into the same into a similar kind of space, and that's perhaps not too surprising. In that psilocybin is also uh, a tryptamine, uh, and it's very very close. I, it's actually very close structurally as well. I found I didn't find that experience to be the case until after I had started doing DMT, and. Um, and then, and then on high doses of, of, uh, of mushrooms in, in like peak states, I could have what, what I would describe as a full DMT, ex like five, 10 minutes long, almost the exact same yeah. sort of thing. May maybe not seeing the same, like purple woman or familiar worlds or whatever but it's not like i i see any of the same thing every single time on dmt anyway but um but yeah it, it was almost i mean i always thought that there's like well i guess some pathways must have been opened that once they're established then then psilocybin can um it, it can get there as well i i mean i yeah. know um i know i, I had uh I had toured with, um, uh, just starting before quarantine, I was touring around with um, um, Sophia Rockland, who has uh, done quite a bit of ayahuasca um, for, uh, for a young person. Um, and, and I know when she even does like ketamine or anything, she's like, oh, I went into like the ayahuasca um, space, you know? And, That's and, and so I've also felt that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also I also had a time once when I um I think I OD'd on on uh, pain pills. I I had an injury, mm. um and uh, and had and had uh, some pain pills and got just lost count. Um, one night was having a bit 
uh, too much fun. And I had a DMT experience um, then, which I actually think I was pretty, I think I was maybe dying. Um, and, and then there's been, uh, and then definitely um, psilocybin plus a float tank uh-huh. was yeah, just like yeah. the most DMT-ish experience um that i had ever had and 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 granted this is after having done dmt so um yeah i think um yeah i mean your 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 brain is when you have a dmt experience your brain is always constructing that experience that's Mm -hmm. that's not to say that the dmt space isn't real or objective but but it's always the case as you well know that your brain is always constructing that that model um it's, just it's, like it's constructing to... the wall behind me right now or, right, or exactly. whatever else exactly right. and and it's certainly true that once the brain you know the brain has to evolve it has to learn to construct these kind of these models and certainly once the brain has done it once uh it's certainly easier um for it to do it again and it will tend to do it again uh, uh, perhaps even under entirely different circumstances, uh, given the opportunity uh, with any kind of disruption of, of the normal, you know, of your brain's kind of normal model building mode. And that could be from psilocybin, it could be ketamine, uh, it could just be sensory deprivation as well, when the brain isn't constantly receiving sensory information that it has to kind of explain. Um, when you can, when you remove that that restriction then the brain is in a position where it can actually start to explore different states uh, and so mm. you know if you had an ex- a dmt experience before um, then it's not surprising that the brain might adopt uh, that state you know, the brain seems remarkably capable of constructing these realities and that is also a really um, difficult thing to explain from a neuroscientific perspective because we, we did evolve to construct really one model of reality and that's the normal waking world that's what the brain has evolved to do that's what you your brain learns to do from the moment you you kind of emerge from the womb your brain is learning to construct a a model of reality it's this model so when you smoke dmt the brain suddenly and, and kind of inexplicably becomes capable of constructing these bizarre realities that have that bear no relationship whatsoever to the normal waking world um filled with intelligent beings you know constructing high dimensional geometries that that is not simple to explain that's not a case of simply saying oh this is just hallucination this is really difficult to explain uh shit uh basically Mm -hmm. um and 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 you know, neuroscientists have to kind of start to deal with that, that this is not just a, a case of something that can simply be explained away as mere uh, hallucination. Mm. Yeah. And, and even if it was a hallucination, it would be quite important to understand why people hallucinate in that way. What causes that hallucination? And, and much in the same way when people, people dismiss things as like, Oh, they just went crazy or something. You, well, you still got to go like crazy. How, how did that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You still right. need to understand why someone went schizophrenic or how someone had a manic episode. It, it's not, it's not enough to just be like, ah, crazy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't need to talk about that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Now, but I I will say on the other side of things, speaking of glib, I I would say that, um, you know, the spiritual side of of the psychedelic movement has, uh, you you can tell how big of an ego someone has in the psychedelic community by how much they talk about ego deaths. And, right. and 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 um, and also uh, how um, uh, how accusatory this is your ego there there's a lot of like if, if any listener just wants a good example just go through my um, my my last tales from the trip on comedy central look through the comments section which is like really just wonderful wonderful comments e- even from the people that I'm about um uh to talk shit about which i'm I'm not really meaning to i'm just pointing out that every everyone can be a little uh, a little stubborn in their perception about what these what these worlds are and you know i i kind of give a take in in say my um uh, in a pinned comment about kind of a a scientific it, it was more I, I saw everyone commenting and like, whoa, this guy met God or this guy meant spirits. And I felt the need to be like, whoa, like, I'm not making that claim. Like, if, if, you, if that's your interpretation of what I went through, that's fine and that's understandable. But like, I'm not, don't put that on me because I'm not making that claim. Here's some of the ideas that I use to think about this stuff that have been useful for me. And some people will be like, Nah, dude, it's uh, it's it's your feminine side, or it's God, or or whatever, and like just very very sure of themselves, um, when uh, when talking about it, and it's it is funny to have like it is funny to share an experience with someone that say you like saw a purple lady, and then and then be like seem like she is in a space carnival but here's what i think it might be instead and to have people like not believe you like when when you when you try to talk down the experience when you're like i don't think it's actually you know i think it's maybe the representation of uh of the perfect female in my mind or something something Mm -hmm. like that and (laughs) and people it's like the opposite of uh it's it's like the opposite of of seeing someone guy on a soapbox um saying that they they're talking with god or whatever and people are like ah that guy's crazy but when i share my experiences i get the opposite they're like you definitely yeah. saw god i'm like no i don't think that I, no guys hold up i'm not saying that so yeah all, all all of that is to say that that there's definitely uh one this is one of the many reasons i've been looking forward to this conversation is because you seem to have a foot in kind of both perceptions and um and i I find that to be intriguing and and fairly useful when thinking about these these worlds yeah i agree i mean it's 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 kind of an interesting it's this weird kind of paradox that these drugs which which do so efficiently dissolve the ego often when it reforms it's often um it's often much more robust than it was in the first place in in many people and 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 i do i mean i get people have a go at me all the time uh about about mm. uh, about my kind of stuff and about the way that i approach uh dmt and and they have a very particular 
spiritual approach to DMT, which is fine. Yeah, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But but then they they yeah, assume that that is that's the way you must that's the way you must um, use DMT, and it's always it's incoherent. I mean, these people will say, oh, it's you shouldn't be using IV, for example, this IV infusion stuff. I, I did right. with Rick Strassman. Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be using needles. This is how you do it. You vaporize it. So that's a, you know, that's fucking, that's modern technology you're using here. <laughs> yeah. You've extracted yeah, you, DMT yeah. with sodium hydroxide and fucking petrol. Uh, in a, no, in, you gotta in a smoke lab. it like a crack pipe, like our yeah, ancestors exactly. used to. And it's like it's bullshit, <laughs> you know, and it. Yeah, that that is bizarre. Of like, ju just how much the uh, uh, what? It's not the naturalistic fallacy, but but the the fallacy for uh, uh, for um the f the fondness for for anything ancient seeming that seems yes. to perpetuate any anyone that's also in the, kind of the spiritual side of things which isn't to knock anything because it, i mean i think it's i think it is important to one understand that like you know some of these practices that have been passed on through generations are important to listen to and then also i just think at the same time uh the theory of evolution changed our understanding of of things especially how how the brain works and if you if you discard either one of those things you're selling it short and there's something uh there there's just something it, as I've been a hair irritated with the conspiracy theorists that have come raging to the surface during this during this quarantine, um, yeah. that are that are clearly abundant in the in the psychedelic world, that the amount of the amount of like rigid, dogmatic, just stubbornness oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. that comes from that comes after an experience that I sell as a, you know, I sell as a tool for openness and mind expansion yeah. and creativity and neuroplasticity and flexibility. And, yeah. and some people, they're just like, nope, here's exactly what it is. Yeah, exactly. And that's the weird thing. I mean, for me, DMT, I mean, it shows you that how, how, how little we really know. We haven't got a clue. Yeah. You know, Terence McKenna used to always say, you know, we, we have no idea what's going on. We have no idea, you know, who's running the show or whatever. Um, and, and I think if you don't come back from DMT with a sense of massive sense of kind of humility and awe and like yes. wonderment, like, <laughs> yeah. I have no idea, right? I don't know. I, I, have, to, I have to accept my my li the limits of my understanding have perhaps been transcended here and, and yes. that's fine that's fine that doesn't mean we can't kind of grasp for some kind of level of understanding and that's really what i try and do uh but mm -hmm. once you fall into the trap of thinking ah i've seen it i've been gifted with enlightenment from the dmt beings now that i'm going to tell the world the way it is and the way it must be uh, and i'm going to get yeah. on facebook and i'm going to you know castigate anyone that dares question my authority uh, i get that all the time it's normally 55 i would say mid 50s kind of white men who probably have, <laughs> you know they were kind of growing up in the 70s they missed out on the 60s so they're a bit pissed off about that uh but they've yeah. been doing dmt for 
quite a number of years, perhaps, and they think, you know, and they will talk down to me and say, oh, you'll understand one day, you know, and it's kind of the most kind of egregious yeah. kind of patronizing crap. I get but, this yeah. in my tour. Uh, I get I get a different thing, which is someone someone will come up to me with a bunch of ideas about DMT, like dismissing the ideas that I shared, which course, I, is yeah. like, by the way, I I please like I invite. I am looking for as many different perspectives as possible. But anyway, they'll come up to me after a show and they'll be like, "Well, here's what I actually thought was," it, and like go on a thing, and they'll like be be talking for so long about it that i'm like i'm impressed like they know a bunch of things that i don't know about and i and i'm just like because i've had like a hundred breakthrough experiences which to you is probably like whatever but uh <laughs> but to the Not to the average person they're like what in the world you've had a hundred i just went on a kick for a while but um but you know i'll i'll be you know, I'll be fascinated by something someone's saying and they're like, so sure of themselves. And I'm just like, wow. Like, uh, cause I'll ask them like, what are your methods? Like how many times have you done that? And then they're like, oh, like I, you know, I tried it once. I kind of saw some fractals and stuff, but I didn't really, I didn't really break through. Like what? <laughs> you just gave me a 30 minute <laughs> lecture about how all of my experiences were wrong and you knew yeah, it's yeah. so convincing that i was believing every word they were saying so anyway not this isn't to shit on it, like please uh, listeners uh shit on me as much as uh, uh, as you want to question question all, too, of, yeah. all, all, all yeah. of all of uh all of my perception i invite that this is an incredibly difficult thing to navigate and uh, i i would just uh, i i would just ask of anybody including my future self when i get done smoking dmt and i'm like i figured it out which i am like every <laughs> single time after i've done <laughs> uh that that i i would implore uh reminding yourself of the power of inquiry and and that a lot of times um you know keeping an open mind can get you a lot uh, a lot further when it comes to these experiences so with that let's get into what you and i kind of think that it is because i think we got i think we're gonna gel pretty good here because we have some i think we have some different ideas but mm -hmm. compatible yeah yeah we'll we'll see, we'll see. so why don't uh what what do you uh what's what's your uh what's your take what's your <laughs> what's your spiel? take as much time as you like too by the way <laughs> well okay so first of all i don't act i mean i don't know right I've, okay I, right. I did write a, a whole book We've, where it looks like i think i know uh but yeah I have oh to admit, uh, uh, what, what's your what's yeah. the name of your book alien information theory psychedelic drug technologies and the cosmic game yeah nice full color full color everything all designed illustrated by yours truly beautiful book i have to say why did <laughs> i get this book before this i well i'll get the book and you i'll have, have you it. back oh. on again sometime too yeah so the book is about my everything i think it's basically a a a coherent narratization, if you like, of everything that I've thought about DMT over the last 25 years. So it's kind of a 
a, a vision of a reality, basically. But it's mm-hmm. not the, it's not like the fucking Quran. It's not like my gospel that I think this is the way it is uh, at all. Yeah. It's just one particular way of looking at the way reality might be. It's the idea is to raise questions, to stimulate people's thinkings, thinkings, thinkings. Can you say that? I think so. Yeah, um, get those yeah. thinkings going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so what do I think DMT is? Okay, I don't know, um, but all I know is that I I find it really hard to um, I find it really difficult to explain and um, and <clears throat> what else can I say here? So so for me, what you know, when I when I first got interested in DMT, I, I thought like everybody i thought well this could this is just a this is just a hallucination um and, and we can sort of explain it away in that way as, as we do other drugs or other types of you know hallucinations from for other reasons uh, and 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 i went i i started from that perspective really thought okay if, if that is the, the case let's examine it from a neuroscientific perspective so my first kind of serious foray into into dmt started maybe 10 years ago like when i seriously began thinking about it and saying and that's when i wrote really my first paper uh, academic paper where i looked at dmt and i said okay let's assume it is hallucination is it easy to explain Uh, and this is where you get into thinking about uh, the way that your brain constructs reality the way your brain samples sensory information in order to to build a uh, a model uh, of the external world, uh, which is the world that you experience uh, at all times, and this is the the model that your brain has evolved to construct. Um, and so, so, so in a way, it's like this world, this reality, is the only language, the only reality language, if you like, uh, that your brain has learned, or and it's the yes. only language it should know. Uh, and so mm-hmm. this is why it's very, very strange uh, and quite inexplicable and confounding uh, that, that when you smoke DMT, the brain is suddenly able to, to build these highly complex worlds of crystalline clarity filled with intelligent beings that seem to have these commonalities between users that seem more real than real, that seem to possess more dimensions uh, than the normal waking world. When did the brain learn to construct these realities? Because I think people get confused uh, because they, they often will say to you, well, is it in your head or is it outside of your head? And you have to explain to them, actually, uh, it's both. The world you experience is always in your head. So we're, even mm-hmm. in your, when you're kind of in normal waking life, the world that you're, your phenomenal world, your own subjective world is always a model that's being constructed on a moment to moment basis by your brain. Now it is, there is a mapping between that inner world and the external environment because it, your brain model is in a sense has to answer to sensory information from the environment. Uh, right. But it's still the model. And when you're dreaming at night, when, you're, when sensory information is essentially cut off, your brain is still using that same model. That's why, as studies, countless studies now have shown, most dreams are basically continuations of normal waking life. So your brain is very good at building models of reality. It's very good at building this, what's known as you know, the consensus waking model of reality. So mm-hmm. why then, when you smoke, when you inhale a couple, two or three lungfuls of the simplest uh, 
you know, psychedelic plant alkaloid, um, does the brain suddenly obtain the ability to start constructing these bizarre hyperdimensional realities? It's like that is mm. not easy to explain. And so that's why I don't simply say this is hallucination. I actually say, okay, mm. let's now take the alternative viewpoint and say, okay, maybe this is some kind of space. Maybe there are intelligent beings in there. There is some kind of intelligence. Uh, there are mm -hmm. conscious entities that, that exist within that space. Location of the space, I don't know. Is it somehow in my head and outside? Uh, is it within this universe or is it in some kind of orthogonal dimension of reality? I don't know. I don't answer that question uh, or I don't claim to know the answer to that question. But I, I, I come from the position that I'm not going to dismiss the DMT space. Um, I'm going to come from the position of, okay, let's imagine that these there are intelligences in this space, uh, that this is an actual reality. Can we try and develop some kind of understanding of how it's possible? How is it possible that smoking DMT could allow the brain to access information toward that it normally has no access to. And so that's the, where I come from here. I take DMT seriously or, uh, or sincerely, uh, in that I, I, right. I actually take the idea that DMT could allow access to intelligent beings. I take that seriously. And I come from that perspective. Um, I don't dismiss it. However, at the same time, I always keep one foot in, um, in, in the kind of scientific arena. I don't completely leave the scientific arena because then anything goes, right? If I say, right. okay, it's, it's the plant spirits, it's the spirit world, it's the astral plane we're going to, I can say whatever the fuck I like uh, and I can come out, I can write whole books uh, about, about this stuff and it's got no connection to anything. It doesn't need to have any connection to anything uh, in, 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 in science. And so I can say anything I like and that's fine, but then it's not very satisfying uh, to kind of just I make know. up your own mythology. <laughs> the, this is this is a little bit of my issue with with take something like quantum physics, which is tossed around quite a bit um, oh, yeah. uh, in in the psychedelic community. One might say misused um, oh, quite yeah. a bit, and and uh, it's it's when I. Often when I hear someone talking about quantum physics to say, like, explain the DMT world or how, how like, all reality is a lie or something like that, I, I often think, I'm not sure you've read about quantum physics before, because I'm not sure that that's what quantum physics is saying in my limited understanding of the exceptionally confusing subject, but it seems like what you're getting at is the age-old, ah, but answer me this, and because yeah. there's evidence that you can't answer this, because there's yeah. mystery, like like the age-old, okay, God didn't make the universe, well, then where did the universe yeah. come, uh, come from? And then you go, like, uh, I don't know, for from before, oh, you don't know? Well, therefore, Jesus. Like, whoa, whoa, yeah. <laughs> why, why does me not being able to explain 
where the Big Bang came from exactly necessarily mean that a guy rose from the dead and then we hear stories about it through the world's longest game of telephone. And, 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 yeah, and, yeah. and this sort of this sort of seems like it's being done with the, the quantum, throw, throwing the quantum world around these days. Like, uh, quant- according to quantum physics, we don't know anything. And therefore, yeah. let me tell yeah. you how reality <laughs> works. And I know everything about it. Let me share um, a little bit of... Let me just throw some ideas at you. Say you take something like this. This isn't, I, I wouldn't call this the best representation of DMT or anything like that, but this is this is an intriguing thing that does resonate with, not that I've seen something exactly like this, this is Hakan Hism. Uh, this is his universal transmissions for any audio listeners out there, you want to pause and have a look. Um, but it, but it, it resonates with like a feeling of like some of the structure, the fractal-like uh, uh, world. Let, let me just cut to the chase of where I'm going to be going with this, and then I might have to walk it back because I don't want to just give you a 15-minute monologue, um, as tempting as that is. Um, I sometimes think, and I can also walk through why I sometimes think that, I sometimes think what was perception like in utero before we were born or before our perception was um was assembled is it possible that it looked like this kind of um fractal world which i mean fractals being speaking of talking way out of school about physics and geometry um fractals being this nice little way of having these kind of recursive patterns and sort of fitting infinity inside of a finite space or whatever which is all this is a bit of a metaphor but but i always thought wouldn't that be kind of an interesting way for the brain to pat to like to pass like packets of information or store memories in some way if it if it had all of these kind of recursive little bits that it was able to compartmentalize and and then and then once you're born and you start making sense of reality you start attaching this shape to that shape much in the same way that that any number like the number 1 having one of something was a concept that existed and would exist and you would perceive whether or not you ever labeled it with the numeric one or if it was yes. a numeric number of of a completely different shape altogether and we just yeah. kind of learn to translate these kind of um what what i would say is um um more of like a the the foundation of of perception uh, like like this is what's going on in the background in the subconscious all of the time that that gives rise to um what we consider modern perception and i have a couple other takes on that but i'll let you take a whack at that one um uh, yeah i'm not sure what you, what the question is uh, so <laughs> is it is it possible the the mm. what what i'm uh, what i'm getting at is when you say we're perceiving a thing that we that we don't have any framework for perceiving how are yeah. we perceiving it so clearly mm. my mm. argument to that 
And it is an argument. I'm not sure why I use the word argument. Yeah. My thoughts about that, um, if I'm trying to science up a explanation that doesn't involve a different, like, physical dimension or whatever that we're tapping into somewhere would be that maybe this is just the origin of thought itself. Maybe this is just what the ones and zeros um, that, that, that our perception emerges from look like. Okay. Let, 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 okay. Me, let me throw this out. Okay. Let me, let me just interject. So yeah, as I understand it, right? So you're saying perhaps that there is underlying structure and activity in the brain and normally, um, this is organized and we have surface level perception. This is the kind of the world that we experience, right? Um, mm -hmm. normally, uh, but underneath the, the foundation of that is a, is completely different. It's, it's, uh, it's unconscious, uh, but it's giving rise to everything we see on the surface. And, and you think perhaps that with DMT, all of that, that normally unconscious activity is actually, uh, becoming coming to the surface right is that it perhaps a fun metaphor <laughs> uh would would be like imagine imagine you were completely unfamiliar with how computers worked just like you hand yeah. a baby a tablet they can figure it out pretty quickly they don't ever have to actually know how computer programming works yeah uh, someone yeah. could go their entire life without ever seeing computer code but if you if you had never even heard of such a thing and then one day someone showed you like the binary <laughs> codes yeah. that make the pixels on the screen you'd be like oh my god i've been jerking off to ones and zeros this whole time what is going on you know and it would seem like oh that's what the truth is i saw behind yeah, yeah, the veil yeah, yeah. and really there were just two perceptual languages of the same thing yeah yeah i think that's that's kind of possible um certainly it's not it's certainly not um thought and it's, it's certainly not the case at all that that all brain activity that affects your perception of the world is conscious it's certainly we there's consciousness is surprisingly kind of diaphanous uh, and 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 flexible and an illusory and a lot of there's a lot the brain does a lot of filling in uh, of, of its model of reality and there are a number of kind of illusions that you can you can you can you can look at that will kind of demonstrate that but um, um, so certainly there's there's certainly a lot of processing that goes on uh, in, in a similar kind of way um, it, it, as, as a computer right so you look at the kind of the desktop of a computer screen and you see you see this kind of very organized structure. You've got the recycling bin and you've got these icons and everything looks clear. But then underneath, uh, you've got really these kind of electromagnetic pulses that are firing, you know, around these, these chips. And it's completely, they, they have no relationship to each other whatsoever, apparently. No ostensible connection. You could, you could right. never look, you could never look at these electromagnetic pulses on these circuit boards, even if you could visualize them, really, you would go, oh, this is where the recycle, no. It, it, there has this, the mapping is almost incomprehensible uh, to the human mind between those. Mm -hmm. um, there is obviously a mapping because that electrical activity gives rise to uh, the things you see on the screen, but it's not something that you can ever imagine um, or, or conceive really what, what's going on there. It's, 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 too, mm -hmm. it's too kind of complicated. Um, hmm. and, and, and certainly in, in the case of perception, that's also 
perhaps true as well and that you've got this activity that's going on um brain activity that's that's going on beneath consciousness or outside of consciousness um, and then uh, that gives rise to the the kind of the model that we construct um does that you know why then would dm it doesn't really explain why you would see um you know aliens and entities and, uh, and these kind of beings let me throw something at you then are you familiar with um i imagine you are yeah I bet you are like, uh, you know, the cortical homunculus. Yes. Uh, the, the idea is, is that in the, in the brain, different, different regions, um, of, of the mind represent different body parts and different body parts are, uh, kind of demand more, um, kind of cognitive space than other, like, uh, like a hand and the dexterity in a hand requires a, a bit more cognitive resources and then say an elbow that doesn't need to do, um, that isn't quite as demanding. And so if you, if you Google kind of cortical homunculus, there's even this cute little, um, art, uh, representation of, and this isn't perfect because really the body parts would be all over the place. Um, but, but you would, you would see like, but this being with big hands and a huge mouth and eyes and a, and a big head and all of these, uh, it would, it would look very much like an alien. What I'm theorizing is that perhaps, and this is, I mean, you know, this is grasping at straws, but listen, it's between like this or aliens or God. So like, you know, <laughs> perhaps if you, if you see this structure, which is, which is just like kind of a, um, a representation of your inner self. When you see it, it's just very jarring and it looks very different than, um, than it, it does in your, in your typical perception, much in the same way that if if um, my my joke is about the movie Inside Out, um, where the little girl has little representations of characters in her brain of anger and joy and such, um, I want to see I want to see um, a sequel to it, Inside Out Two, where that girl smokes DMT for the first time and pops down into her brain and. And sees all of those like she would she would be like oh my god there's like a joyful god and an angry god and all these different worlds and they're reconstructing one another and building on one another, and um and that's often how I consider uh, that's how I tend to think about the DMT experience or try to like give a sciency little spin on it. It doesn't go that far to explain why people are having the exact same kind of experiences, but... Okay, well, so as regards to the homunculus, I mean, the homunculus itself, you have to remember, the homunculus doesn't exist in that right. this homunculus, it's, it's a mapping from... So there are two homunculi. There's a motor homunculus and a sensory homunculus. The motor homunculus mm. is basically the mapping of... Uh, the different parts of the motor cortex. So these are the part of the, the, the brain that is actually sending sending instructions really um, right. to the different muscles. And there's a mapping between different parts of the cortex and uh, muscles. And um, muscles in the hand get a lot more 
brain area um, than the mm -hmm. muscles in, as you point out, you know, or sensory information in the elbow gets a lot less space than sensory uh, information coming from the fingertips for obvious reasons, right? Uh, but, but, you know, there is no, there certainly isn't a, uh, a little person anywhere in, in the brain. I, and um, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean to take like the cortical homunculus like you are seeing your cortical homunculus. Mm. I nearly mm. meant that as a metaphor for mm. how we all have these internal representations inside, just like I yes. can close my eyes and imagine myself on a beach right now. And I can yeah, see yeah, that yeah. quite clearly in my mind's eye in perhaps on some level of representation that isn't being fed into my consciousness it just looks stranger yeah i think that's certainly true certainly we, we do we do um bear representations deep down um that we don't always have access to and and, and there's certainly a sense that the brain is 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 always constructing these um and 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 it's hard to know what it's doing with them uh, deep down. Um, Carl Jung had this. Um, yeah. Uh, he spoke about these. I mean, he's sp he spoke in terms of the psyche, uh, which is a kind of a, a bit kind of a slippery concept. But we can I think we can translate it into more kind of modern neuroscientific parlance. Uh, Please do, because because I, I've never read Carl Jung and everyone, when I explain my views of things to people, they're like, oh, like Carl Jung. And I'm like, eh, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I know who he is. I've never read his stuff. So, yeah, yeah. please so, continue. So, I mean, he he talks about the psyche being, I guess, all of your your all of your consciousness, I guess, uh, and the mm -hmm. way that it is structured and that you've got parts of it that are. Um, kind of above the surface uh, and then you've got hidden parts that you don't normally have access to. Now, Jung maintained that the, 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 the psyche could fragment, that little pieces of the psyche could break off. Um, and you can actually see this with people who have dissociative identity disorder where, or multiple personalities. They're quite rare, but this, their, their consciousness, their, their self, their psyche is actually able to kind of fragment. Uh, and they, mm -hmm. they occupy two entirely different uh, people at, at, at different times. And they often have no awareness of uh, each other. Um, so it, it seems possible uh, that that can happen. Now, how does that happen? What's the, what's the actual neuroscience there? I don't think that's, that's well understood. But certainly the brain is capable of compartmentalizing and segregating uh, its information um, quite well. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jung maintained that fragments of the psyche could become essentially uh, autonomous. He called these autonomous complexes. So a complex um, is often used in modern parlance to mean sort of, oh, you, you're giving me a complex, man, uh, like a neurotic complex or something like that. But it, basically a complex is a fragment of the psyche. It's a piece, piece of the psyche. And, and Jung suggested that these fragments of the psyche could become entirely separate and uh, entirely autonomous, existing in their own right. And he also suggested mm -hmm. that perhaps, although he was never definitive about it, um, perhaps they could actually become conscious. So yes. now we're faced with a situation. Okay, you have these fragments of your psyche that are autonomous, 
they're yes. conscious, they develop their own consciousness. And then it raises some really interesting questions like, can we access them? And yes. what, what kind of world are they experiencing? Yes. It's my contention that given information generating machinery such as the brain and clearly these these complexes they they have access although they're kind of isolated in some way and segregated they have access to this highly complex information generating machinery that is yes my brain right the main i have i have the i occupy the main complex right and these these these, these sure beings, they do. yeah <laughs> i think Right? <laughs> I assume that's my conceit. Give me that. So you have these 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 complexes which is which are autonomous uh, and they they perhaps have their own consciousness. They have access to your brain's information generating machinery and this raises the question, what kind of a world are they going to construct for themselves. We know the brain is a world-building machine. We know that normally for us, anyway, the main complex, assuming we are the main complex, our brain has to answer to sensory information coming from the environment. It has to do that. That's a matter of life and death. That doesn't necessarily seem to apply uh, to these complexes that have essentially hijacked one could say, the information generating yes. machinery of our brain, they're in there, yep. we're, we're, con we're doing all the survival stuff, we're feeding them, we're providing the food, they don't have to do anything. It's like, what kind of a world would you build for yourself? Uh, right? Would I you, don't know. Would, <laughs> right? Would it be a, they, a comical, crazy, fucking nutty world? Would you be dancing <laughs> around, uh, you know, pinwheeling and... Um, pinwheeling, uh, cartwheeling, and <laughs> building kind of carnivals and kind of just accessing whatever information you could from the main psyche, the good stuff, not the boring stuff, mm. you know, and then imagine that you stumbled into that world that they were constructing. You go, this is weird. This is really familiar for some reason because it comes from your information generating machinery, but it's also um really fucking strange and there's there's something yeah there's something fun this 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 is a, a whole uh, ecology of, uh, of beings that are that are just fucking around and they they're yeah. loving it and it's <laughs> i'm i'm not sure they're fucking around and i'm not sure they're loving it i've i've gone to battles with some of these things um i i mean sometimes they've scared the fucking shit out of me to be oh, yeah, perfectly yeah, yeah, honest yeah, yeah. and it's and it's why it's it's why i don't even recommend i don't not recommend dmt to people but i don't when i first got into dmd i was like everyone should you are really to not do dmt is like that's crazy to like miss out on that experience in your life and now i'm like eh, i don't know i i can't i can't tell you what to do but it's it's because and the reason is is because that is my relationship with these beings it, it and and it might it might just be that i'm projecting my own interpretation on it or whatever i would argue that why am i saying argue i would spitball mm -hmm. um that um that we are running 
simulations all all of the time um and for the same reason that um you know this doesn't happen very often but it does happen where you have like say i had a dream where i was rock climbing at a rock gym it was a actual representation of an actual route that i was working at and and having problems with and there was one particular move that i dreamt of that i um, that I was able to then go to the rock after like three weeks of trying this move. I was like, oh, I dreamed this. Turn my foot this other way just slightly. And I was able to go and implement that. I wonder how much our mind is running these simulations all the time. I've, I've, seen, I've seen a guy in my mind just like throwing a Frisbee <laughs> all of the time. It, it might be that when you're learning to build a Frisbee, there's some sort or th when you're, when you're learning to throw a Frisbee, there's some sort of representation of an ideal Frisbee throw that is built in your mind and, and honed and rehearsed that when, when you go to throw a Frisbee, you're, you're accessing in some way yeah oh yeah for and sure. yeah that's definitely what the brain certainly does that the brain we, we know i mean often after you uh, people you know if you practice uh, a certain skill like you might learning a particular tune on the guitar uh, and you practice and you get it wrong you get it wrong you get it wrong and then you go away from it say so forget about it for a couple of days and when you come back you can suddenly do it and you know, yeah. the brain has consolidated it's it's somehow amazingly is kind of learned to make sense and, and amazing and, and, and kind of sorted out those motor patterns uh, so, such that you can actually fluently uh, play this, this tune and that's uh, you know it, it's, it's it's astonishing uh, what the brain is able to it achieve is. and certainly this is why people often um, I remember a few years ago I read a book about visualization they will say you should you should, if you want to do something, if you want to learn how to, you know, improve your tennis serve, for example, you should just close your eyes in a meditative kind of state and just visualize yourself uh, serving and, and it, you know, see the ball fly and hit, you know, and right into the box. Um, and, and, and people often find that, that that's effective. Um, you know, the brain is able to rehearse things and, and is able to kind of plan, sort out its motor programs even when you're not, not doing the task. Um, so, yeah, what else is the brain doing underneath the hood? Uh, a lot of it we, we simply don't know. <laughs> and in, in these worlds, um, you know, mu much in the way, if you're going to school and you want to learn something, uh, you might, you know, think of like a mnemonic device to make like re remembering that thing a little more fun. Or you might think of like a really graphic representation, or if you want to remember someone's name, you might make up this peculiar funny nickname for them to help to help you remember their name. In the same way, children playing The Floor is Lava, um, you know, no, no one would be like, these kids are crazy. The floor is clearly not lava. <laughs> but what they are doing, this isn't just imagination either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is simulating... A heightened scenario, but in a benign space yeah. to use play to hone practical um, motor skills and, and muscle memory skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and perhaps 
much in the same way that learning the guitar and you go away for a while. And I shower thoughts are like this too. You have a shit idea, you forget about it. And then a month later, that same idea pops into your head, but tweaked ever so slightly. And you're like, oh, this is the title of my book. That was a shit idea the last time I had it. What the fuck was that idea doing? (laughs) And what was it up to that it went into my subconscious or whatever the fuck? Like this degenerate of an idea. And now it pops back into my consciousness, wearing a suit ready to work for me. Best idea I ever had. And what if our ideas, thoughts, different representations of who we are, different representations of others, much like I can have a dream of you tonight or anyone else that uh, potentially that I've met in my life. What if there's, what if they're competing for neural resources and neural attention, just much in the way that um, anxiety can hijack your perception and, and drive you to focus on this negative threat or whatever? What if these inner worlds are able to use the most ridiculous things, the grossest things, the most violent things to get glucose or who knows? I don't know. I mean, that's true. I mean, the, the brain does. I mean, when you're uh, in, in the normal, pr- the way that we kind of in modern neuroscientists think about perception is your brain is, is, is basically a, a, on a rolling basis is, is generating hypotheses about what, what's going on in the world. Uh, and then it tests the hypotheses. So it, it looks out and it says, okay, there's, uh, there's a person standing, uh, walking towards me. That's the hypothesis. Okay, if that's the case, then you can predict the kind of sensory information that you should be receiving in the following moment. You should start to see their, their face getting larger as they get closer. You should start, you know, you should see the way that their, their whole body moves, all that kind of thing. So hypotheses lead to specific kind of predictions. And they're always competing hypotheses about what's going on in the world. Uh, and, and they're fighting. Right. They are fighting with each other. Uh, and one will win out. Uh, and you go, ah, oh, that's what it is. Sometimes you get it wrong. Um, so if it's dark, for example, um, I described often when I was younger, I used to, a lot of the time in the dark, I would often see figures. Um, you would uh, often when I was in the car and I would see a figure stood by the side of the road. That was what was happening is my brain was saying, ah, that's the best hypothesis. And we're going with that. But then as, as the kind of the car moves around and you realize, oh, that doesn't, that's just, you know, a, a sign and it's overlapped with a tree or whatever the brain realizes that hypothesis is wrong and you get new hypotheses uh there to replace it but what's important is that Mm -hmm. whilst i whilst i saw a person there there was a person in my world model um but only briefly yeah that was the best hypothesis yes now and that the brain always is doing that It's, it's it's creating hypotheses and then it's testing them against sensory information now when you completely disrupt the brain's ability to, to, to make coherent hypotheses uh, or you disrupt sensory information as well, um, the brain, uh, such as using a psychedelic drug, you know, that's what psychedelic drugs generally do is they disrupt the brain's ability to construct coherent, cohesive, uh, cogent models and hypotheses about what's going on in the world. Um, So this is why uh, things will often uh, change their identity. Um, You know, you look at one object, you look at um, 
you, know, you look at the driveway and you'll suddenly see a bed of gleaming jewels. Uh, then you look again and I realize it's just pebbles. Um, or you will see um, the, the, the hose pipe, or whatever you call it in America, uh, on the lawn. Uh, and they realize, oh it's, oh, it's a snake, you know, and it will become a snake. <laughs> What do you Hold call it? the phone. Do you guys call it hose pipes? Yes. What's going now? The whole. All right. Start the whole episode over. We're no longer talking about DMT. Now we're talking about hose yeah. pipes. No, I yeah. mean, I mean, this is important. You know, so, someone someone reads pit jar and then looks at it again and sees oh tip jar. Maybe yeah. I'll hit Shane up on Patreon. Um, <laughs> uh, th this is th this is. This, this is another reason why I think that some of the DMT state, um, my perception, because as real as these things are, I, I found that early on in DMT, it, it was like, the worlds are changing so fast, just like, do, 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 like a different universe like every and it's why it feels like you were in there for lifetimes like like every second a new universe like just so overwhelming mm. and then as i as i learned as i got more used to the experience as i learned to kind of untether myself from like having to remind myself you're on a couch right now you're <laughs> you smoked a tmt you're gonna go back to your okay this is okay it, but once i once i no longer had to tell myself that and was able to surrender or whatever they might say in in kind of the psychedelic space things did start to slow down and it and to me a, a, a lot of people would be like, ah, see, you surrendered to it, and then it opened up what hmm. is reality to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I would push back against and say is that, is it that, or did you just start buying into one of those, let's say, random universes, and then once you start buying into that, the brain goes, ooh, all right, he likes this one. All right, build this out. Okay, now how do we make this one make sense? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And the brain is always trying to... Um, it wants to settle on something. It's, it, and sometimes it, it, will, it will struggle, right? And, and I think that's certainly with DMT. Um, the disruption of the brain's, in, the brain's ability to construct its, its model uh, is, 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 is so complete... Um, that you do enter this kind of terrifying procession of, of extremely complex, indecipherable kind of imagery. Uh, and then the brain starts to make sense of it. It's, uh, okay, this uh, starts to build coherent structures mm -hmm. um, from that. Um, that doesn't mean that the, the, the DMT space isn't, I'm still not letting go of the idea that perhaps it is, uh, it is receiving information from some other place, uh, but even if it was or wasn't, yes. uh, the, the, the information the brain is generating is dramatically altered and it tries to form hypotheses, it tries to form a cogent, coherent model, and that takes time. Um, and that's why yes. there is this initial extremely disorienting phase and then, and often people won't get past that, they will, they will get dragged back. But the more times you do DMT, 
the more the brain is, okay, this is the type of information. These are the kind of patterns of information that, that, that I'm dealing with at the moment. And, and I know now how to fit them together to form something that is a coherent model. And that's the model. That's when you break through and you enter into this relatively reasonably kind of coherent, stable reality, DMT space. Yeah. So now let's shift gears for a little bit because I I already uh, like I or, do you, do you have like another twenty five minutes no, or so? Or no problem. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no hurry. Okay, no. you don't have a heart. Okay, um, because I have to say, I, 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 it's I imagine it's driving some listeners a little crazy. It's uh, I'm doing a little bit of research, uh, a little bit of me search. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 I'm. I'm so excited to share my little pet uh, theories with with someone that might understand <laughs> that I'm I'm blabbing about all my little nuggets. I want to hear about your actual ideas in your book, and and believe me, after I read it, I'll have you I'll have you back on to sure. uh, to dive in um, some more. Um, and one little um, fun little bit that you may not know or remember, or maybe you do. Do you know that I was there in Boulder when you gave the extended state talk? I had no idea you were there, no. Did, we, did you speak to me? Uh, no, I was, I was the person that they were supposing would be the first person to do the extended... <laughs> <laughs> to do the extended uh, i know that yes i know, i remember that um, your name yeah. came up in that regard yeah but i didn't know you were there watching yeah i was there watching and and i listened <laughs> it was it was two days after ayahuasca experience uh -huh. where just the craziest most bizarre synchronistic stuff had started happening to me stuff that normally my hard-headed reductionist science <laughs> brain can manage and i was having a real i i was gonna say tough go it, it was wonderful it was delightful i was having difficulty explaining it in the normal convention that i that i would and then i went and i saw your presentation there about the different and i used to be um one thing my listeners don't know about me probably uh 15 years ago or so i kind of uh because i i got into not that i know much but but because i had a religious upbringing that i fought against i i, I learned a bit about physics so i could argue with people that led me into eventually like just just getting into different areas of things and i went through a whole time travel um thing um a phase where i was just obsessed with time travel and learning about how it could be possible and when i saw you give your presentation man it just set me off in this like i i loved what you had to say and i started integrating some of your ideas into my perception and then very bizarre things started happening to me in my life. And I definitely started buying into and believing at least for that time in that moment. And I still am like, what the fuck was that even? <laughs> um, but, but you, you actually 
play of, because of that that was a that was a significant uh a moment of my life so so i definitely um uh i want listeners to know that um and i wanted you to know that to know that i don't you know, I've already thought about your ideas and Good. like them a lot. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, so go shoot. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I come from, uh, I'm, I'm interested in models. I'm interested in models of reality and I'm interested in how that, how they're constructed. And uh, when you get down to it, what the brain is, as I've, I've mentioned a couple of times so far already, is that the brain is an information generator. The brain generates information using neurons. These are the basic brain cells. And these neurons, they fire these electrochemical signals called action potentials. And this inf information is kind of shared between them via these structures called the chemical synapse. Um, and, and, and this information, for some reason, certain patterns of information manifest as your, as your reality. Um, so that's, that's the kind of the starting point is that your, your world, your phenomenal world, your subjective world, your model of reality is built from information uh, generated by your brain. So that always applies. And that's the case whether you are waking, whether you're dreaming, whether you are having a DMT trip. Now, what's also in interesting is that when the DMT state seems to often show people this kind of the kind of the fundamental structure of reality. And so many people have come back and said, oh, I saw the matrix or I saw I saw the, the, the code um, at, at the ground of reality. Um, and, and that drew me into thinking about ideas from digital physics. So digital physics posits that uh, really being inspired by Konrad Zuse and uh, John Wheeler, the late great eminent theoretical physicist who suggested, you know, the, the, uh, who uh, coined the term, you know, it from bit, the idea that, that fundamentally everything comes from information. Information is at the ground of reality. Um, mm -hmm. And that the, these, the, the basic, the fundamental units of information at the ground of reality can interact according to certain rules, often quite simple rules, and you get this self-organization and self-complexification over many levels of organization of information. Uh, and that ultimately you end up with self-replicating, self-organized, highly complex structures such as ourselves. And so we are these highly this complex is, patterns of information. Can, can, I, can I interrupt you just because I, I think that this is another, would be another fun bit for the listeners. Um, is because uh it's called um game of life isn't it yeah so so google would that be sufficient to google game yeah, of life google, for people to um, yeah game of life or conway c-o-n-w-a-y so the game of life was invented by a mathematician uh, called john conway and he i think he was british I get the feeling he was British. He should be British. Um, he, he was at Princeton, though, I think, um, when he died. He died, I believe, from COVID, sadly. Uh, but he was, he, he was, he was a good age. Um, and he invented, it was probably one of his wow. most famous, and he was a very, very eminent mathematician. Uh, he invented this initially quite kind of fun little, what's called a zero player game, and that you don't actually play it as anyone you just set it running uh, and all it is is is, an, is a square board uh, a two-dimensional grid uh, and the squares can either be black or they can be white and whether they whether they turn black or white depends upon the states 
of their neighbors uh, in their neighborhood. And so you basically set this game running and all of the squares will update at, at the same time in parallel, each one looking around at its neighbors and going counting, oh, how many black neighbors, how many white neighbors do I have? Kind of thing that people do in the States. Um, and then, um, <laughs> and then, then the system basically self organizes. You that get is fair. <laughs> That is fair. <laughs> uh, the, the, the point is, is you, you can have, and, and th this is often used as a metaphor for biology and all, uh, how, how from these very, very, one might call primitive or fundamental, just very basic, simple rules, yeah. you can have uh, what, what can emerge in what is like kind of under, underneath almost random but but you can have what can emerge from that uh, is these like really interesting organized structures yes that maintain I mean, themselves yeah so you get like spaceships yeah yeah spaceships that will traverse across the screen firing projectile i mean it's astonishing when you look at this that there's four rules there's four simple rules that basically you know, whether you're in a black state or a white state, you basically count the number of black and white neighbors in the in the eight uh, the eight squares around. Let's make you. this less divisive. Can we call it yeah. red and blue? Uh. <laughs> red or blue, any color you want. Brown and yellow doesn't matter. The colors are irrelevant, actually, as they are in, as they are in the real world. <laughs> I was making a American political <laughs> Republican Democrat joke. Um, but, yeah, but it works, it, yeah, these yeah. are. I highly, I highly recommend audiences have a um, look at this. So we'll, we'll and put it's it on still YouTube being, as well. you know, still being studied now. People still there's 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 like whole kind of wikis where people devote to finding new structures. So you have very simple rules that give rise to emergent complexity. Uh, and this can happen mm -hmm. over many layers of organization. So you start with the ground of being, the, the grid, uh, basically, then it self-organizes to form structures. Um, and then these structures can interact with each other and they form higher order structures. And that's really what the human body is, right? It's a, it's a complex, multi-layered system. We have networks of molecules that form a cell. We have networks of cells that form tissues. We have networks of tissues that form organs. And then we have the whole, you know, organization of your organs that forms your, your body. Uh, and that's yourself. Uh, and so these levels of organization, you will see it from the level of complex human brains all the way down to, you know, subatomic particles to what are often referred to as the, you know, the fundamental particles. Uh, you will see that. And so clearly life existence, our reality is this hierarchically organized structure. And it's my contention mm -hmm. and the contention of uh, digital physicists that if you go deep enough, right at the ground of reality, you will find nothing but some kind of fundamental information generating uh, code, some fundamental digits of reality, if you like. Um, and so- Ah, but uh, where did the digits come from? Well, Therefore, 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 it's the aliens that <laughs> created the digit. But I actually, but but yeah, that's a good question, and and this is a a good point actually. Because, I, I was being I, not that it's not a good question, but I was also being silly. You were being facetious. Time. However, you you inadvertently yes. stumbled across um, uh, kind of interesting ideas about what if you were going to create 
a universe? What if you were going to be a kind of a god? How would you create a universe? Now, um, there is a, a computer scientist called uh, Jürgen Schmidhuber, I think, and he wrote a, a quite a famous short paper about how you would create a universe. Uh, and he suggests actually what you do is you don't try and design it from the ground up and say, you know, don't try and design the rules, right? The, the, the kind of the, the fundamental laws of physics is you're going to fail um, unless you really are a god because it's very difficult to know which rules will give rise to complex structures, right? Um, so, for example, in the game of life, there are, there are a number of possible rules that one could use, large number, but for most of them, nothing happens of any interest. Um, yes. Only a few rules where you get this yes. edge, edge of chaos, where you start to get complex structures yes. emerge, right? So how do you do it? Yes. How do you find the right rules? You simply iterate through all of them. You program all yes. possible variants of the game of life and you look at them. Same with the universe. Yes. It's much yes. easier to program all possible universes, let them run, mm -hmm. fire them off. Most yep. of them will die away quickly. Some will descend into an endless tumult of ceaseless chaos. Get rid of those, yep. shut those ones down. A, a few, you'll start to see interesting structures. Oh, galaxies are forming. Uh, they start, to, yes. you know, we start to see complex elements and, and molecules. Okay, we'll let these ones run. So these are the ones we mm -hmm. find ourselves, you know, in, in one of these universes where the, 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 where you get this emergent complexity. And so it, it would mm -hmm. be very simple probably for an, an intelligence from another reality uh, to construct a universe uh, full of high beings like ourselves. All they would do is they would iterate using their extremely powerful hyper quantum computer systems or whatever, uh, whatever they're running. Sure. Uh, they would to iterate through all possible universes and we just happen to be. Um, so it's not it's not a creationist view. It's simply, um, it's actually, you know, it kind of makes sense. If, if there is an alien intelligence um, that's building universes, that's how it, um, that's how it would do it. I and mean, so we simulate universes all of the time. Any video game that you're simulate, any TV show is a universe. You know, right. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, I, and I will say, um, to, not, not that my, um, subjective experience of things is like, here's some proof for you <laughs> that you can here, take this one to the bank. But certainly when I've, when I've had, um, um, there, there's elements of the experience, um, that I've had where my consciousness seems to like shoot out. I, I, you know, it's so fast and so jarring. I'm talking about the kind of the very beginning of the experience, but what I've, what I've seen many times is, is, uh, like a fabric of, um, I guess codes or some sort of like mathematical properties or something. It almost looks like a hologram to me, like different, different colors or something. And it, and it usually appears like flat and kind of translucent. And, yeah. um, and it's as if, um, it's as if there's like little, um, uh, you know, bit bits of math or programming or whatever that has like organized itself that then like, just happens to 
bump into one another mm-hmm. and that forms a new com- a, 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 a new combination that hasn't happened before or whatever and that that creates say this universe that we're in right now and this universe that we're in right now it it, it this this fabric absorb or 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 monitors basically all everything that happens within this universe is gathering information for this bit of mathematical fabric that keeps on expanding i i would i would just call it the realm of possibilities mm-hmm. uh, like contained in some weird mathematical hologram fabric thing and 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 mind you that's just like that's just my guess is trying to remember what it sort of felt like um, when I was there. But, but I've, I've had that, that very idea many times, yeah. both during the DMT experience and in processing it afterwards. Right, exactly. So, so it's, it's not, there, there's always this sense, I think, with, with DMT that one is experiencing that, that, that underlying mathematical or digital structure uh, of reality. And, mm-hmm. and, and that perhaps, perhaps that really is, you really are seeing something there. You are really are exposing this the fundamental nature, uh, and 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 actually, it starts to make sense that everything starts to kind of fall together, if you like, and you actually something coherent kind of emerges, and that kind of makes sense. Uh, and then you think about well, what's DMT got to do with all of this? And this is really what I explore in the book: is why then? Okay, maybe we are. This is a digital reality. Maybe it is being instantiated yeah. on a computer of an alien civilization outside of our universe. But why, when you smoke DMT, does that give you access to it? Uh, and so that's mm-hmm. that's really an int- another kind of interesting question, kind of piled on top of all those other interesting questions. And that's something that I explore in the book is thinking about, okay, if, if this is an instantiation of a reality uh, that's instantiated by some code generated by some alien hyperintelligence, would they want, would they allow, uh, would they encourage in some way um, communication? Would they want to communicate with these, these emergent uh, beings that, uh, that emerge within one of the realities that they have, they have allowed to emerge? Uh, and if so, what what form would that take? Um, is DMT some kind of embedded, um, in a sense, some kind of embedded code, um, some kind of program, some kind of software subroutine, a subprogram that's embedded in the mm. larger structure um, and that we have to kind of locate, we have to identify it. Um, it's like, a, in, a, in a sense, it's like, I've always thought of it as like an intelligence test. If you, you, you leave the message everywhere uh, within the space, but only species that reach a certain requisite level of cognitive sophistication will be able to identify the message and then decode it and understand it. And mm. DMT, in my opinion, feels like that message. It's everywhere. It's in basically, you know, you look out your window, there's probably half a dozen plant species that are, that are brimming with DMT. It, it's, it's like the message is there but you've got to get that message out. You've got to identify it. You've got to isolate it. And then you've got to learn to use it. You've got to learn to develop it as this, this technology for communicating with this, this, this intelligence that seems to have been there for a lot longer than, than our universe. And perhaps that is the, the originator uh, universe, the, you know, the programmer universe, the place from whence mm-hmm. uh, we came. 
Yeah. I well, I I mean it, it could even be accidental that we're stumbling upon this. Like, That's I also often, true, yeah. My, my DMT experience is, is like, I often feel like Homer Simpson when uh, there's like some episode, I, I haven't watched the, the Simpsons, that, but there's some episode where he like sticks his head through some portal and he's like in a 3D space. So he's like, what? How did I? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Has no, you know, he was just eating a donut or doing something dumb and, 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 and like just happened into this other dimension i mean to me it seems like if you were to simulate some so you're you you were to build um you know create create a simulate you still need to collect the data you still need some pathway of collecting the data of no and like okay these stars or whatever move this way this life on this galaxy moves it this is all kind of data leading to this uh, on, on some other pathway going through some other process or whatever. It's almost as if, I guess what I'm trying to say, grasping at straws, <laughs> is take, take a game like The Sims, um, yeah. where if you, if you just kind of, say you just like let it go, and, uh, and, this, and you give it enough time, and one of, and one of these Sims, one of these avatars, um, just happens to like, gain enough complexity or whatever else to just stumble into like looking beneath the like oh what what's this here or, or yeah, just yeah, yeah. or just happens upon some like little glitch in the system where there was supposed to be a river but it can see that there's there's some little terror in it and 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 the ones and zeros that are building its universe or whatever yeah that's also possible as well and then that 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 i mean certainly with certain with different psychedelics, often you would go to different kind of places, and it's not. Yeah, I'm 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 something of a DMT exceptionalist, but I accept that when people smoke salvia extracts, for example, they certainly also go to very very strange worlds, often uh, uh, entirely yeah. different to DMT space. So so yeah. one has to be a little bit careful in saying that DMT allows you to access the true fundamental structure right, of reality. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, one has yeah. to be a little, but one can't help thinking that somehow there's, there's a number of characteristics, peculiarities, pharmacological peculiarities about DMT and also its ubiquity. It's just it's weird to think about that this, this fucking molecule is it's fucking everywhere. Uh, it's mm-hmm. everywhere you look. And yet, mm-hmm. just by coincidence, just by random uh, chance, it also happens to tear open um, the kind of uh, the, the fabric of reality and I like to peek behind the curtain I don't know yeah. I don't know Shane I, I mean I, I will say um, that one, one of the things that I find grounds me when uh when in the times that I've I've gone on a bit of a kick and I find myself going through the day in regular walking life and being like wait a second is this real? <laughs> is any of this real or was mm. that real? Because like, sure, I've been here for 40 years, but last night I just spent a thousand more lifetime. Like if, if we're measuring what reality is based on length of subjective perceived time, then the DMT space is probably the more real thing that's that's how it that's how it can feel i i would also i would say that our inner worlds operate on a on a different uh 
much much like when you um much like if you're gonna like crash your car or something and, and time slows down because because you're tapping into yeah like the, sure. those yeah. autonomic structures or whatever but um here here's let me throw this at you take something like a fractal that if you've never seen a fractal before you know we're all familiar with them now we've all seen screensavers now but they're they're pretty new and if you were to show them to someone um not that long ago it would be a pretty like a mind-blowing concept but at the same time there are these very simple little like oh oh you want to make a what is it coach or Kush snowflake or whatever, just take a triangle and then put a triangle a third of the size on, yeah, yeah, on, yeah. on the sides and so on and so on. This very simple recursive program. To me, what one of the things that might... I'll, I'll just say this. DMT often feels too perfect to me. It's a little too symmetrical. Whereas in terms of thinking about what it would take to simulate something, to pro uh, what kind of computational power, to make the flaws and wrinkles in the skin, and every, that, that's what seems to take a lot more computational power. This is what seems to take, like if you just look at the advancement of video games, from yes. sure, it's easy to make a little Pac-Man circle and have it bite little, but, but put an oil slick in a road in like yeah, a yeah, randomized yeah. way to program all that in seems like such a more tremendous amount of processing power and then i'm back to thinking like oh maybe this is just the foundations of the of the origin of thought again i don't know yeah i think um yeah there's so there's so much we just don't understand i mean you know you talk about computer graphics i mean fractals for example when they were discovered you know that's when computers were able to generate things like mountains and clouds because they relied upon the basically the the fractal structure of, of, of things like mountains and clouds. Um, so actually building a, a mountain is actually computationally very, very simple. It's a simple recursive process because it relies upon that simple, uh, those very, very simple um, algorithms for constructing fractals. Um, so it's not always obvious um, how difficult it is to construct things by looking at them. It seems like mm -hmm. clouds should be really difficult to, to construct, but actually they, they, they have a simple underlying algorithm. Um, so one must be a little bit careful about judging the, the difficulty or complexity of something simply by looking at it. Complexity is a very, right. it's a slippery issue um, that sits and it's it's still not that well understood. There's a whole science, uh, complexity science, that looks at things. You know, to find something complex, it's got to sit. It can't be too ordered, but it can't be chaotic either. It can't be too disordered. It has to sit in this very narrow band called the edge of chaos. This is where complexity emerges, something that retains order and yet at the same time, is flexible and dynamic. So a human being, the human brain has to, it's always sitting on the edge, it's on a knife edge um, between order and disorder. And what psychedelics do, bringing us back to psychedelics, is they, they just, doo -doo, they tip the dial towards disorder. <laughs> not too far, not too far. <laughs> then you're in like 
chaotic territory, then you black out. Um, the, they just tips it. DMT pushes it a little bit further, right? But again, not too far, not too far. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, um, it's, re it's remarkable. <laughs> DMT has that ability. It lets you smoke too much. And then you can be in, then you can be in blackout territory. It seems to, you know, when you do kind of push it, push it too far. But this is what psychedelics are doing. Mm. They're just nudging the brain towards disorder uh, and seeing what happens. Then you start to get these whole new patterns and structures emerge and patterns of information, which is experienced as these new worlds. Hmm. So tell us about the extended state project uh, as we're uh, as we're wrapping up here, and I'll, I'll don't worry, I'll have you on again sometime. But I I gotta I gotta let you go at some point. Yeah. So basically, as I've said, I take DMT seriously. Uh, I see DMT as a technology for communicating with intelligences uh, not of mm. this universe, perhaps. Um, and if we are going to entertain that idea at least then we should approach them we should approach their space diplomatically um and that means well, it doesn't <laughs> go on i mean one i i would say that it's i would say that it's a very significant finding regardless of what your take is on dmt whether whether this is some unresearched unknown part of the psyche or the mind that neuroscience or psychology doesn't yet understand hmm. or whether these are um, aliens in a different dimension or whether this is God or gods or spirits, like no matter what your take on it is, that's seems pretty, it seems worth pursuing right. <laughs> and investigating more. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So whatever the nature of the DMT space, it's clearly something that should be studied um, and yes. whether you're studying it to establish two-way communication with alien intelligences from the omniverse or something, uh, or whether you are simply fascinated about by these incredible con constructions of the, the brain. Um, either way, it needs to be studied. And you it's very difficult to study the DMT space precisely because of uh, its, its fleeting nature. Um, it's... You're there for two, three, four, five minutes, uh, and then you're kind of being dragged back into the normal waking world. And so, so it was my idea that DMT has these remarkable ph pharmacological peculiarities. Um, it's brief. It doesn't exhibit subjective tolerance. Uh, it doesn't accumulate in the body. It's metabolized and distributed very, very rapidly uh, and easily uh, in the body and in the brain. It's basically has all of the qualities of um, general anesthetic drugs, the drugs that are given to you by um, anesthesiologists when they put you out for several hours. What they will do is they will have this mathematical model of the, the distribution metabolism of that drug um, through your body and in your brain. And they will use that to program a, an intravenous infusion device. So it is called target controlled intravenous infusion. The idea being that they can, by controlling the level, the infusion of the drug into the brain over time at a precisely controlled pharmacologically informed rate, they can maintain the level of the, of the anesthetic in your brain over time. And, and control it, regulate it, bring bring you shallow, push you in deeper. 
I mean, people people think this is so crazy to have this extended <laughs> like a what do you oh four hours in that space or whatever. But this is this is to me as someone who's had a hundred breakthroughs and to have a hundred breakthroughs that means you got to smoke DMT like four hundred times because you don't break through every time. And right. and the idea of 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 doing this this way is so much more sane to me. Granted, it doesn't. Maybe you start with like twenty minutes, then twenty-five minutes, and work your way up. But but the idea that you have to to have a proper DMT experience through smoking, you have to go so far past that past where you're trying to go just to stabilize, just to then stabilize the experience. Yes, that I think you do get into what could potentially be dangerous or at least blackout yeah. territory and it's not useful. Yeah, precisely. And so, so there needs to be, we need to, uh, by using this, this target controlled intravenous infusion technology borrowed from anesthesiology, the idea is that you can bring somebody into the space in a controlled manner, um, maintain a, a kind of relatively reasonably stable level of DMT in their brain uh, such that they can have an extended experience. You can also bring them out. You can you can push them deeper. Um, you know, you can bring them out a little bit so they can communicate with you perhaps and then push them back in. You can have a much more control uh, over, the, over the experience like that than you could ever achieve by smoking it. Even ayahuasca. Yes, okay, ayahuasca is... This is not just ayahuasca guys and girls and other um this is this is uh, this is a, not about simply extending the experience but also about having complete control over the experience the maintain a breakthrough state for as long or as short as you want it could be 10 minutes could be 20 minutes could be several hours in really experienced users that want to perform um, experiments within the space that might take longer Yes. Um, very appealing. I, 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 if, if there's one thing we're a hundred percent in agreement on, <laughs> it's that that is definitely the way to go. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, that, that's the dream. I, um, well, I can't wait. I, I want to, uh, I, I still wish I was uh, in the running. I think a, a, a couple of manic episodes might have <laughs> might have lost my status. Oh, I for, see. For be, being, <laughs> but uh, regardless, once once you guys once things do get once once we ten twenty years ago when we live in a world where anyone can hook themselves up to this um, uh, to, to this experience potentially. I am there. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's going to be a very... I don't envisage this being purely the, um, the equipment to be found in, in universities and in research institutions. I think this is a, it's a democratic drug. Everybody has, by birthright, um, ac uh, should have access to this, this, this space. Um, and, Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I envisage a time when you will be able to purchase the kind of machinery and plug yourself in, basically, uh, and, and set off um, for however long you want um, in, in perfect safety. Um, these, these, these are much safer than many of the, the drugs that, that the kids are taking these days. Um, this is a, yes. a, a wonderful, a wonderful medicine, a wonderful technology, um, and very, very safe. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and and I imagine that that's kind of the next next step for humans is to be kind of you know interdimensional citizens of hyperspace in a way where we live lives not just in the this kind of lower dimensional um, realm that we're kind of familiar with, but we actually we actually become citizens of a, of a higher higher dimensional system that that becomes normal uh, that we will spend part of our lives here doing kind of the, the kind of the house the housework keeping ourselves alive and then we will spend time um, in in the DMT space as well doing yeah. whatever we want uh, people that aren't familiar with psychedelics might be like well that sounds like an escape to me uh, um, that I mean far from an escape uh, if anything maybe maybe being born was an escape from the DMT universe but but um, uh, but far from an escape I mean I, I think this is just this is a um, you know this is a tool this is a tool for for me investigating my own mind the nature of reality itself um, and it, and yeah, to to not have access to that is is uh, much cr much crazier of an idea to me than any trip report that I've ever heard from somebody. Oh yeah, oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um, um, you're awesome, man. I love what you do. Uh, what's the name <laughs> of your book? One more time. Alien Information Theory. That is fantastic. I love and it. And of course, um, you can yes. Also, people should go to my website as well. Um, buildingalienworlds.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got some talks and stuff online, right? Yeah, so it, if you go cause... to buildingalienworlds.com or alieninsect.net, both will take you to the same site. So there you can get a link to, let's have a look at, you know, a few sample pages of the book. There's also me reading the first chapter as well, part of the first chapter. Um, and there's also, yeah, there's links to some of the lectures that I've uh, I've given, there's papers that I've written on psychedelics and other topics as well, slides. Yeah, so basically that's the first port of call. Um, if you want to follow me on a day-to-day -day basis, my Twitter and Instagram handles are both uh, Alien Insect um, and my YouTube channel as well, Alien Insect. Uh, there you can find my Psychedelic Neuroscience Master Course, which is kind of 48 videos over over uh, eight units, which is basically the most comprehensive Whoa. course on psychedelic neuroscience available anywhere, uh, anywhere in the universe, as far as I'm aware. Um, so if anyone wow. wants to really understand what's going on, if anyone wants to really know what's actually going on in the brain, according to neuroscience, uh, when you take a psychedelic drug, why it <sighs> changes the structure of your reality, take this course, it's 100% free, uh, it is 42 video lessons. It goes into a lot of detail from the level of molecules and receptors through to brain activity and, you know, cortical networks. And it's all in there. So please take that. Oh, my goodness. Well, you, you came on you came on to talk about DMT, but now I'm going to have to do Adderall to watch 42 <laughs> videos. <laughs> um uh that that is incredible i can't wait to check those out i mean i'm a little when you said that i was like oh no <laughs> now there's 42 new classes that i absolutely have to take yeah, yeah, in yeah. My life. add that to the infinite list of of things but it's uh getting bumped right up to the top Good. uh all right yeah, well yeah. let's let, let let's uh let's talk um let's talk quite a bit more um in the future about some of this for sure 
stuff and brain. I, yeah, I'd love to brainstorm some ideas of, of some more of these conversations that we'd have. This was terrific. All right, everybody check out Andrew Gallimore. Um, go into the description or the herewearepodcast.com website to get links to a whole bunch of stuff. And as always, thanks, thank you listeners and now watchers for being such wonderful, curious people. And we'll talk with you next episode. Okay, guys, what'd you think? Did you love it? You did, didn't you? You loved that episode. You wish I talked about it more often. I know you do because I get requests all the time to do more episodes about psychedelics. Guys, here's the thing. First off, remember, October 17th, Saturday night, 8.30, Crowdcast event, live here we are podcast. I want you there commenting, interacting, meeting other people, other fans in the community, um, getting uh, getting involved, having some laughs, learning, talking all about modern media use, especially if you're a parent and making uh, a lot of decisions about what's an appropriate age for your kids to have phones or tablets or how much use is okay what kind of use is okay uh that i mean it's information we're all going to benefit from but i i just know that um that although adults (laughs) should it it, that's a funny thing about parenting that we're like well i need to really be on top of controlling other people's i have a little child and i want to tell (laughs) them what to do and not take any of that advice (laughs) for myself i'm gonna get i'm gonna really do my research so i can tell other people (laughs) another being what to do um (laughs) but we this is important stuff for us all to be thinking about all the time if you saw and if you saw the documentary the social dilemma uh i, I imagine you had these thoughts before but uh it's impressed on the importance on a, a lot of people i found the movie to be a bit biased i think we're going to have a much more balanced conversation less apocalyptic uh seeming um conversation but we're going to express those arguments um just just uh more broadly not just about social media but just uh watching tv um listening to podcasts all 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 sorts of media so why don't i talk about psychedelics more often one i just i i have a few more episodes when i'm doing live psychedelic tours i a big thing is is i just don't have interest in being like the psychedelic comedian i recognize that people view me that way and that's like a part of a role and you know i made a documentary about psychedelics i was i just wanted to make a documentary the timing was such that that subject matter uh worked out well i hope to make more documentaries about lots of other topics uh in in the future hopefully even better ones that uh, now that i've uh learned and gotten a little experience um and i just uh i have a lot of thoughts on this one 
I mean, I use a lot of my psychedelic experiences to come up with ideas about how the mind might work and to embolden my uh, own creativity and my curiosity. And then what do you do with that? You integrate it into your regular life. And and so, you know, this, uh, uh, this topics that we talk about on this podcast are the topics that I hope people would be interested in after a psychedelic experience. I hope after you have a psychedelic experience, you get really interested in well-being and uh and psychology and how the mind works and no you don't have to be interested in all of the same topics that i'm uh in into but i hope that psychedelics are the means um rather than the goal so that's an aspect uh, of it another aspect is that i yeah, it's it's in the same way that that you know if, if psychedelics inspire you to be a, a a better artist or or more creative or terrific, but also if uh, uh, that's that's a means to making more art. The art isn't necessarily the means to having more psychedelic experiences or whatever. The other thing is I'm one, I've been a little irritated with the psychedelic community and just the, not, not as a whole, but just aspects of it that are, um, noticing flaws with all, uh, way too much paranoia, conspiracy stuff that I, I think is actually making for a more corrupt world, um, uh, which you know, uh, seemingly the opposite of the goal and intent of conspiracy theorists is to end political corruption. I think they're emboldening it um, with outrageous uh, narratives. The amount of science denial in in the in some of the psychedelic community um, is you know was always there, but it's not that. That's not me. I, I'm I'm interested in getting people into psychedelics more into science. I'm interested in getting academia um, more into psychedelics, and I, I I believe my perspective is is that that is the the way forward. I think that there's plenty of room for uh, for spirituality, and I don't think that there is a lot of room for paranoid delusions, which someone who has experienced many of them. Uh, that's all the more reason why why I uh, I think that's important. Um, and so it's been a little troubling and frustrating and a bunch of people that, you know, proclaim to be like free love and this and that and we're all one are attacking me all, all of the time for uh, just for promoting uh, promoting science. Um, all of all of the sudden, all all since COVID, because I, I could go on and on about how people uh, use conspiracies to um, as a stress response to their feeling of helplessness, to wanting to sound like they're more interesting than everybody else, to uh, just 
really, really common cognitive biases that when you do a psychological reset like uh, you can have with psychedelics, something like egocentrism can come roaring back because that's those are kind of base level uh, perception 101 um, biases that that happen and without knowing to navigate them and instead indulging in them I that's just not uh, I don't think that's a um, a, a way to integrate the experiences and so um, I've, I've been the wellness community as a whole not just psychedelics but uh the supplement peddlers the uh listen to my fringe science because look how big my biceps are um the bro science uh fringe red pill uh crap that i i think that the a lot of aspects of the psychedelic uh, community have have fallen victim to and then just the the psychedelic um, community wanting to pedal their listen I don't care if you're Ouija board or whatever like tea uh, is some nice little placebo and you need a uh, fun story and narrative behind it and perhaps your uh, you're right that this and that thing has a benefit, but once you are monetizing it and making money off of that, I've never made money off of other than maybe dealing mushrooms <laughs> when I was when I was 19 years old or something like that. I I don't um I don't make money off of the uh uh off of the um you know various aspects of of uh the, the if you go to some of these festivals there's just like the amount of of things that increase your libido or do all of the you know it's like what are we doing these are just diet fad nonsense prone to all sorts of self-deception at best uh, and so it, it involves constructing and holding on to this narrative that all of modern medicine is corrupt and evil and lumps science for whatever reason within this category of, uh, of like government and authority, um, which, you know, I, I, as any of you that listen and watch this show, I have a bunch of I have nothing but guests that you've never heard of, uh, guests that are in, far from an ivy tower, but are living in a, you know, a humble, you know, stable, reasonable lifestyles uh, that aren't paid extra for putting out more publications or, you know, doing uh, or siding with a certain uh narrative um and are working a bunch of extra hours right now to help <laughs> do what they can to do good uh during a 
pandemic and look for better treatments and vaccines and practices and things and all well there's people in the psychedelic community that decide that uh being anti-mask and just pretending that none of this is real is uh is the way to then sell you their supplements or fitness plans or mindfulness practices or whatever uh, uh honestly god awful shams uh that uh, I, I mean uh, this is it's really uh, it's really been brought to light um but even even before covid uh you know in terms of making an impact in terms of normalizing psychedelics which i don't think i've always done a, a good job of you know i think a lot of people in the general public might hear some of my stories and and think whoa this guy's crazy and psychedelics make people do crazy reckless things when i've just always been a crazy kind of reckless individual and i, I sometimes don't use psychedelics the most res responsibly but um i want to be uh the guy that's into science and and critical thinking and um and having uh, meaningful conversations and into things like objective <laughs> reality over uh, it, over things like nice sounding stories that that maybe motivate us or give us drives, which I recognize as important. And I don't think that my perception is better than this and that. But anyhow, I I, I want to I. I'm interested in being a science communicator. I got into the psychedelic uh, stuff because it's a, a fun, I've always been into psychedelics and I thought it was a fun way to get people in to science was by talking about my experiences. Um, I'm not using science to get into psychedelics more. So uh, I, I would rather legitimize um, myself as a science communicator who also has this little aspect where I've, I've benefited from psychedelics in terms of depression and other things uh, and creativity and stuff and rather than the psychedelic guy who's also into, into science I never meant for that to be the case I never wanted that to be the case and Unfortunately, as I know many of you listeners don't, you know, are reasonable and this is nothing to worry about with, with you guys, a lot of people that, especially when they've never heard my podcast, uh, if I have like two episodes about psychedelics a year, people are like, oh, tell us about your psychedelic podcast. It's just such a salient topic for people. Um and not necessarily in a good way. Uh, and there's so much stigma attached to it. So, you know, I'm kind of trying to dose appropriately and have uh, and microdose my psychedelic content on on this show because for me right now, that's how I perceive um, the the best path I can be on for 
communicating science, for advancing psychedelic research. Uh, and so I might be wrong. I'm hopefully open to uh, correcting uh, my perception and, and views as new information comes in. But I thought you guys uh, deserved an explanation for why you don't get more of these fantastic episodes. The other thing is, is a lot of times I want to talk about these other things and I'm in a stand-up science show and we're having an episode about, about or, or we're having a show where I have an elephant researcher on or whatever and, and because the psychedelic crowd is so enthusiastic and comes out to my shows and uh, I, I mean there's such a the psychedelic crowd is such a perfect fit for what I do because they're naturally curious, typically fairly intelligent people. But a lot of times, you know, have some subject like that, and people will be like, well, what are elephants like when they're on drugs? It's like, well, we aren't. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I don't. I don't want psychedelics to be my everything. I recognize that they're some people's everything or we all go through phases and, and everything else, but I hope that they are a tool rather than uh, the defining aspect of our uh, identities. So I'm, I'm just a hair cautious about having more of those episodes. That being said, I have an episode coming out about shamanic behavior. I mean, I get emails from people all the time that, that, uh, want to come on and, and talk more about psychedelics. And it's, there's, there, there will be more episodes, uh, in the future. And once live touring starts again, if I, I probably will go the route of, of sprinkling in a lot of psychedelic shows, if not an entire tour, then uh, I'll, I'll do more episodes at that time. But uh, otherwise, you know, I'm a guest on a bunch of podcasts and typically get questions about psychedelics all the time. So you can hear my views uh, there. And I also don't find myself to be terribly informed uh, about psychedelics. I find I think I'm experienced. Um, but I don't, I don't really keep up with all of the research and whatnot. So, uh, there's, there's probably a lot of other, uh, people that have, um, better info for you. And now you can check out Andrew Gallimore's, uh, full class that he has all about, uh, DMT. And, uh, that's so much content so uh, check that stuff out that's someone that spend, spends their lives thinking about these subjects is, is uh, if you're uh, in, in need for more content and uh, that's that this has been a longer explanation than uh, I probably needed to share with you but it's been a lot of thoughts on my mind lately so hope you enjoyed it those of you <laughs> that listen all the way to the end you know why you're my favorite because look i mean chimney crickets to really like what i <laughs> i don't i'm not sure i like what i have to say hardly ever and for you to <laughs> which is my own endless self-esteem issues me okay but uh anyway for uh, the the idea that 
that there's there's people out there that resonate with me on a certain level that you want to <laughs> that you'll hear me blab to myself for uh 20 minutes even after an episode is over oh my goodness i hope we i hope we get to meet uh one day and and have a nice long conversation about life because uh that's it's really cool when when you resonate with people um and and you just have a certain uh certain kind of chemistry with people even people that you've never really met so uh so cool i'm i'm thrilled that you're still listening slash watching this and i i can't wait to uh talk with you more next episode